You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. Thank you, musicians and singers. I've had a good drink, so you won't be listening to a dry preacher. No one has a Bible nowadays, so I can't say, uh, get your Bibles. Oh, there is a couple. Oh, praise God. I was just saying to someone before the meeting started, it's, you've got no idea how terrible it is for me to come to church without my Bible. <laughs> i got this thing that's got four Bibles or three or four Bibles in it, but to not have my old Bible there with all my scribble in it and everything else is, is really a, in a thing where it tears me. I, you know, I could grab it and find something that quick. But uh, I'm adjusting slowly. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn me to Proverbs chapter 30. We're going to attempt to do the impossible. This morning, do you think I can do the impossible, young fella? <laughs> He's looking at me that kind of way. <laughs> Let me just read 18, verse 18 and 19. There be three things which are too wonderful for me, yea, four which I know not, the way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid. Reach up above your left shoulder and pull the seat belt down and buckle it, click, clack, front and back. Because <laughs> I'm going to have to preach hard and fast this morning to get in the time we've got to share what has been on my heart for a long, long time to share. And uh, I want to just try and do what I can do with it the best way I can. Let me just explain to you something in this passage of Scripture. Solomon says that there are three things, yea, four things that are too wonderful for me. Now, that's a bit of a, a difficult phrase to understand, isn't it? It's, it's too wonderful for me. What does he mean by it being too wonderful for me? I know it not, then he says. Well, you've got to, if you understand Hebraisms, then you understand what that's about. In the Hebrew language, there are phrases that are used that mean totally different to what it sounds like it means. And this is one of them. When he says, it's too wonderful for me, what he is saying, I know all about those things in the natural, but he said, I have a sense there's something spiritual in this. There's something that God wants me to see from a spiritual perspective, but I can't see it. And so the Hebraism is, it's too wonderful for me. I know there's more to it, but I can't see it. Now, I'll guarantee you that there are many of you that have had things happen in your life, situations, circumstances, or something else, and you had a sense that God was trying to say something to you, but you couldn't get it. Is there anybody? Yeah. yeah, most people. Well, you see, if we were Hebrew, we would say, it's just too wonderful for me. 
I know there's something in there. I know there's a deeper meaning. I know there's something there that I should understand because it's of a spiritual nature. I just can't pick it up this morning. I want to try and throw some light on some of those this morning and I want to do it fairly quickly if I can. I want to change the order a little bit just for brevity's sake and uh, we'll see how we go. The way of a serpent on a rock. In the Hebrew Palestine desert areas of there, snakes were very prevalent. You go out into the west of New South Wales where we've come from and where I've worked most of my life. Uh, snakes are quite prevalent. Get into the rocky areas like in the mountains and you'll find them quite uh, prevalent. And uh, I have seen myself big brown snakes lying out on the rock. They do that for warmth. They like warmth. As a matter of fact, if you get a snake in the cold weather, he's very lethargic. He's not much use. They like to be warm. And when they get warm, they are actually very dangerous, particularly the king brown snakes that I've had a bit to do with. They are extremely dangerous. I raid about one of our worst snakes along with the taipan in Australia. And uh, they like to lie out on a rock and there sun themselves. Now, no doubt King Solomon had seen the snakes there lying on the rocks from time to time and it puzzled him. The way of a serpent on a rock. Let me just uh, try and paint a picture here. The thing that bothered Solomon was, why did God allow the serpent to live? Have you ever wondered that yourself? <laughs> I'm not talking about the poor old snake. I'm talking about the serpent. That the Bible talks about the serpent that caused all the trouble in the Garden of Eden. The serpent that came and beguiled Adam and Eve. And I'll guarantee you that when Solomon observed the snake and wondered about the snake, he wasn't thinking about the old snake as in a, a physical snake. He was thinking about the spirit realm. He couldn't understand why God had ever allowed the snake to live. Why didn't he deal with him in the garden? Because ever since the fall of man in the garden, the snake has caused incredible pain and anguish in our lives. Every one of us have been touched by the effects of the snake in one way or another, that poison and Pastor Marty was sharing about the hurts of life and those things that uh, produce bitterness and pain and anguish in our lives. It all comes from the snake. The snake brings misery and pain ever since the Garden of Eden. Solomon knew there was something of a spiritual nature. He could not understand why God just didn't deal with the snake once and for all. Wouldn't that have been a different picture if there'd have been no snake? Well, you might have thought along those lines too. All Solomon could come to was it just too wonderful for me, I just don't get the picture. You see, Solomon didn't understand God's purposes. God didn't understand the reason why God let the serpent stay alive. Why he let left Satan in the picture is because he didn't understand that God had a redemptive plan 
that he was bringing into motion, how that he was going to reconcile back to himself all that had been lost through the fall in the Garden of Eden. And Satan is a part of that. He didn't know that God had a plan that was going to reverse all that had happened in the garden. It would take him having to send his own son in the likeness of human flesh. He had to become a human being in order to reverse what had happened in the garden. And leaving Satan alive and well is all part of the plan. And sometimes we don't understand that. But God had to legally deal with this situation. It had to be done legally. God just can't wipe over laws. He is the one who institutes laws. He can't just wipe over them when he feels like it. He has to fulfill laws. And so where there has been sin, where there has been the fall in the garden, God had to legally deal with that whole issue. And to do that, he had to become human. Because it was a human that fell, Adam and Eve, in the garden. And so God had to become human, and that's why he was incarnate in the life of Jesus Christ and lived among us. But in order to break the power of the devil once and for all, Jesus had to live without sin, and hallelujah, praise God, he did. And because he lived without sin, he was able to become our Passover lamb and deal with sin once and for all. Hallelujah. That's enough to make you shout and praise God. But you see, God, God's plan is much more comprehensive and much bigger than we realize because God wanted a family of human beings that had been redeemed, but not only redeemed, but had grown to maturity as sons of God. That's what he's looking for. And he knew that the, to do that, he would have to leave the devil alive and well on the face of the earth. Something for you and I to practice on. <laughs> How many times have you read in the Bible about blessed are the overcomers? <laughs> and you could go through and read all the things that are uh, a promise to those who overcome. <laughs> if you want to be an overcomer, there has to be something to overcome. And he's given us power over all the power of the enemy that we might learn to be overcomers. Hallelujah. Oh, that's enough of that one. <coughs> There's an hour sermon in each one of these. I can't do it. So we're going to... Okay, let's go to the way of a ship in the sea. There on the ramparts of the palace, which was the highest building in the city, he was able to see the little ships going out from Joppa and from the other coast ports going out, little wooden ships. I marvel every time I think about it. You read history, you will realize that in Solomon's day the little wooden sailing ships went out from there as far as England, the British Isles, on their trips, bringing stuff back, taking stuff, and it's just amazing as you read history in that whole regard. As he saw those little fragile wooden boats go out there, I, I marvel at sometimes Pat and I have been down and we go to Darling Harbour 
And they've got that, uh, what do they call it, the little endeavour. Uh, it's, uh, it's made like the same like the Endeavour ship, but it's not quite as big, but it's there. And I look at that thing and I think, how they can sail that thing from England to Australia? <laughs> Beats me. And uh, here, Solomon sees these little boats going out and he'd see them in time come back again. They are away for five or six months or more. Then they'd come back again and he just... They beats me how those little things can stay in one piece out there in the storms that would come on the seas of life. And uh, it just, uh, he, he, he could understand it to a degree from the natural, but he knew there was something that was spiritual about it that he couldn't get a handle on. There's something else about these little boats that I tell you, it, it might have been impossible for him to understand, but you and I are down this end of the age and we, we have got our eyes of our understanding opened in a way Solomon didn't have. We understand this side of the cross a whole lot more than he didn't understand. You better believe it. And we can understand it now in the spirit realm. He could understand it from the natural realm as any mariner knows, any captain of a ship knows that the only way that you can survive in the storms of life is you must head that old boat straight into the storm. How many storms have you had in your life? And let me tell you, there'll be some more. But the wisdom of Solomon is you must head your boat straight into the eye of the storm. You must embrace what's coming. The storm that's coming, you must just head straight into it. If you head straight into the storms of life, let me tell you what will happen. The storm will pass all the quicker and you will come out the other side. But if you run with the storm, you will destroy yourself and the boat and everything else. In Acts, it tells the story of Paul being taken to Rome and he's in the boat with all the other people and all the, the cargo that they had in the boat and they get into a Mediterranean storm and the captain decides to run with the storm. And they run with the storm and you know the story if you read it for yourselves. I'm not sure now where about is in Acts somewhere. It says that, they were completely destroyed. The boat was smashed to smithereens. The cargo was all lost. No life was lost thanks to uh, Paul. The, ca the captain wanted to kill all the, the, the slaves and those that were prisoners. But he said, no, no, they've got to all stay alive. And so they all stayed alive and they all stayed alive. And uh, he kept the, the boat through. You've got to head straight into the storm and face it head on. And I tell you, that in the storms of life, if you run, you will end up being destroyed like his boat was. But I tell you, you've got to stay headed straight into the storm. In First Timothy 1 verse 10, I think it is, 19, 10, somewhere there. It talks about people who shipwreck their lives. And he says, concerning faith, don't have a good conscience. You must have a good conscience. If your conscience condemns you, then it's hard for you to have faith towards God. 
So what he's saying is, you, if you don't have a good conscience, you'll ship. He said, many have shipwrecked their lives. And lots of people shipwreck their lives because something in their heart caused them not to have confidence towards God. Oh, folks, we must be men and women who have taken the blood of Jesus upon our lives and are clean through and through so that we can have good confidence towards God and our faith can be real and that we can handle the storms of life. Oh, I take you, I hope you can understand what I'm trying to say quickly here this morning. We need a good conscience. I tell you, a shipwreck is a shipwreck. It's not a little leak. We have little leaks in our ship from time to time, but a little leak you can deal with, but a shipwreck is when the whole thing goes down. And I tell you, God doesn't want your life to go down. He doesn't want your family to go down. He doesn't want your business to go down. So have a good conscience towards God. Let the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanse you from all sin on a daily basis. Let's deal with the way of the eagle in the sky. Solomon had risen to the highest place in the then known world, or the Oikomeni. He had, he had risen to the highest level it was possible for a human being to rise to. The then known world as it reached out across that whole area that we, that we know as the Middle East. But it stretched as far as England, stretched as far as India, down into Egypt, Africa, in those areas, Ethiopia. He was the king of that whole area and those nations paid tribute to him and, and it was um, incredible. They called it the golden age of Israel. He had done everything that it was possible for a king to do. If you read the history of Solomon in some of the history books, you will be amazed at the things that he did, the, the uh, gardens that he set up, the, the zoos and... Uh, all sorts of things that he did, menageries, and uh, it just is blows you away to try and understand that stuff. You know, folks, we don't read enough of history. We don't read enough of history. I walked into old, uh, what's that um, show there at Katara, Hartog's Bookshop, and I picked up a book on the history of Greece. And I stood there, I had some time to fill, and so I stood there going through that. I tell you, absolutely unbelievable. If you think things in Australia are bad, <laughs> you don't have a clue what it was like back in Greece in the early days. You don't have a clue what it was like in Israel. The abominable things that were being done on a daily basis. But here, Solomon had risen to this place if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, he, ma he makes a statement. Ecclesiastes is a funny kind of a book because it's kind of like as if it's written out of exasperation. There's so much in there that takes a little bit of handling. And he, there's a phrase, he says, what else can a king do? There was nothing left for him to do, so he'd go get another wife. And... <laughs> 300 wives and 700 concubines, you wonder he had any time left for anything. <laughs> but there's this 
mouthful of words comes out of his mouth in Ecclesiastes. What else can a king do? He'd done everything. There was nothing for him to do. He'd done everything. He's risen to the highest place around and uh, he was just uh, so happy with himself. But one thing drove him up the wall and it was that blessed big eagle. It was higher than him. It would just glide around there, just soaring around and around on the ramparts of the palace. And it just you'd get under his skin as he'd see the thing there, just soaring around. And I have watched them. We did a job one time putting a road up a mountain, a thousand foot high mountain. And we put this road right up the top and we used to work shift work. And when it was not my shift to be driving, I oftentimes would go and find a nice place in the sun and lie down and watch the eagles. Because of being a mountain that came up a bit like Ayers Rock, flat on the top and down, and it was tremendous updrafts used to come. And the eagles used to just circle round and round that mountain. And it just they, you could watch them for hours. If you see the old eagle, would have his head over like this and he's watching. Oh, I tell you, they are a sight to see. And uh, he watched these old eagles flying around there and he actually was jealous in that this, here's something that had gotten higher than what he had gotten. And he couldn't make out why he's just up there soaring around. He doesn't flap, he doesn't do anything. He just, as though he's, uh, it's too wonderful for him. He says, there's something in this, but I just can't see it. How this eagle can just enjoy life like that, just soaring. He doesn't have to strive. He doesn't have to struggle. He just uh, floats there, as it were, round and round and round. And he said, oh, no. He said, this gets at me. He couldn't understand. He said, it's too wonderful for me. Don't understand it. Of course, we understand it. (laughs) The eagle doesn't have to go to college to learn how to fly. He doesn't have to read a book. He just yields to the nature that God put in him. And he yields to the nature that God put in him, a a nature to fly, a nature to soar. And so as he yields to that, he finds that he just flies and the joy of soaring comes as he just yields to that nature that God put within him. And so it is with you and I, folks. We don't have to struggle and strive to live the Christian life. (laughs) There's no struggling and striving in it at all. We yield to the new nature that's been put in us in Christ Jesus. We just yield to that. We just enter into it and allow that nature of Christ to dwell in us. We don't try and live the Christian life. There is nothing more difficult and nothing more heartbreaking. It will drive you absolutely crazy to try and live the Christian life in your own strength. I never forget the day. It was a winter's day and it was miserable cold weather. And we were living in this old farmhouse that was an old... uh, built about 1900 I think and it was made out of vertical planks of wood with newspaper pasted over the inside to keep the wind out and there were some places where there were cracks and we used to have newspaper stuck in the cracks to stop the wind coming in 
Oh, it was an old house. And uh, I never forget this cold winter's day. And I got an old fire in a fireplace going. And I was there and I was just telling God how impossible it was to live the Christian life. I had tried the best I could. I had struggled with it. I'd worked at it and everything else. And I tell you, that day, God gave me a revelation that it's no longer I that liveth, it's Christ that liveth in me. And I don't have to live it in my own strength. I just have to relax and let him do the living. But the trouble is, we start to let him to live and then we think he's not doing it right, so we take over again. So then you've got to get old Keith Green's song out, Now I'm Sitting in the Back Seat. Yeah, you know that old song he used to sing? He, he tells in, in that song about he was trying to drive the car with Jesus in the back seat and that wasn't going too good. So he said, now I'm in the back seat <laughs> and Jesus is driving. Oh, hallelujah. That's the way it's got to be, folks. It's got to be Jesus living in our lives and living out of our lives. And to live the Christian life is no longer a struggle when we let Jesus live our lives. If we let him make the choice, we get opportunities every day to do things. We get opportunities where we can fall into sin. Who's going to make the choice? Are you going to make the choice or are you going to let Jesus make the choice? Remember back in the 80s, Someone made a lot of money out of a bangle that used to have a WWJD written on it. Did anyone here ever buy one? <laughs> what would Jesus do? That was the whole thing. And so if you got into a situation in life, you'd have a look at your bangle. <laughs> what would Jesus do? <laughs> hey, folks, it's not that at all. It's the Jesus inside. What would the Jesus in here do in the situation? And so we live by the life of Christ within. I tell you, I remember hearing a story many years ago about a farmer that was clearing country, and I've been involved in a lot of clearing. And uh, he was a clearing country, and he came across where this big tree had been fallen, and somehow, miraculously, an egg out of an eagle's nest had not got broken. And I've seen that happen. I haven't seen an eagle's egg not get broken, but I've seen cockatoos' eggs not get broken. And I've seen possums by the hundreds that come down. <laughs> uh, I remember one bit of a broken stick about that long, about that round was hollow, had five possums in it. <laughs> oh, they were stuffed in there like you jammed them in with a stick. <laughs> I was intrigued by it because one was sticking out, so I went over and pulled him out. And then there's another one that pulled him out. There's <laughs> five possums stuck in this one little bit of stick. <laughs> He takes the egg home and he just happened to have a clucky turkey amongst his, his fowl yard and so he puts the egg in under the turkey and says, well, we'll see whether we can't hatch an eagle out here. <laughs> anyway, by a time, the time came and the old, old turkey hen hatches out the eggs and the eagle got hatched out too. So here's an eagle in amongst the turkeys and... Uh, Here's this little fellow. He doesn't look much different to a turkey. They look the same. Uh, same sort of shape, body. Same sort of feathers. And uh, the old mother turkey, 
she couldn't understand him at all because he didn't want a scratching in the dirt like the others. And she would go bananas trying to get him to come over here and scratch in the dirt. He wouldn't scratch in the dirt. And uh, tell you what, he would have died under the old farmer knew that eagles live on meat. And so he would bring him down some minced meat, <laughs> give him a bit of minced meat every day. And the eagle used to look forward to the old farmer coming because at least he'd get something that he could enjoy. And uh, so he grew. But as he grew and his feathers quickly came on him, he learned to, to flap and he stretched his wings and he started trying to fly. And uh, the old mother turkey hen would do all she could to shut him down. Like, Stop doing that. You're not allowed to fly. And so she would keep him under control. But he's growing all the time. His feathers are growing. And he's flapping his wings and he spotted a little short fence post in the, in the chookyard. And so he began a bit of an endeavour to get up on the top of that. And he tried many times, but he couldn't quite go. One day he got up, he got up on the top of this little short post and he stretched his wings and looked into the sun. Eagles love to look into the sun. There's a lot about eagles in your Bible. And it talks about them looking into the sun, I tell you. Oh, I love looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. Looking into the sun. Mm. Hallelujah. Looking into the sun transforms us. Oh, hallelujah. Uh, I hope you can understand what I'm trying to say here this morning. The Bible says that eagles drink up blood. They love blood. That's why we sing, oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Why are we taken up with the blood? Because the blood cleanses us from all sin. That's why we love the blood. I remember when I was just a boy, I remember a bloke at school saying, oh, you're one of those butcher house religion blokes. The butcher house religion. I didn't know what he was talking about. I asked Dad when I was home at tea time, I said, what, what do they mean when they said the butcher house religion? He started laughing. He said, oh, that's because we believe in the blood, the blood of Jesus. I'm, I believe in a butcher house religion. The blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. Anyway, in the process of time, the feathers grew, of course, and everything else, and... Uh, this little old eagle would get up, flap up onto this little short post and there he would stretch his wings and everything else and he'd look into the sun and wait for the farmer to come with a bit of meat and the old mother hen cluck and carry on there trying to get him down off the fence post. You're not supposed to move in the gifts. Oh, no, I didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> you're supposed to just scratch around in the dirt like the rest of us. And uh, But he wouldn't take any notice of her. And he's growing and everything else. One day, a tremendous storm's on the horizon. Clouds are rolling. Don't you praise God that we don't have tornadoes in this country? See, there's one through the week. There's some ferocious ones overseas. 
Oh, I praise God every time I see one of them, I praise God we don't have them. But I have seen incredible storms come. I remember when we were not long at Dubbo, we had a dust storm that completely blacked the sun out. It just went dark. And we could see it rolling. It was rolling, coming towards Dubbo. could see it out there on the southwest. It was just rolling in. And what a, uh, gives you an awful feeling when you see this rolling in. One day this tremendous storm starts to roll in. And the mother hen goes bananas. She's racing around clucking and trying to get all of her chickens in under her wing. But they'd all grown pretty well. But that still doesn't stop a mother hen. She stretches her wings out big and tries to get them all under. But she couldn't get this eagle to come under her wings at all. He flapped up onto his post with a grin on his face and he's looking into the storm and saying, I don't know what's happening, but i got a feeling that I've been born for this moment. <laughs> and so he's watching as the storm's breaking. He's, he's just ready for it because something inside tells him that he's been born for the moment. And so the storm breaks and the wind blows it blew the chook house down the creek it just blew the old mother hen over and all the kids went all directions but not the eagle he stretched his wings and he rose up on the wind and he rode up above the storm <laughs> hallelujah Folks, there may be storm clouds on the horizon, but we've been born for this moment. We've been born for this moment, and we're not going to let the storm clouds, clouds blow us off track. We're going to rise above the storms and start to move into the things of God. There are those around about us that will try and shut us down and say, you can't move in the gifts of the Spirit. You shouldn't do that. Come down off that post. He shouldn't move out there in the gifts of the Spirit. My Bible tells me that everybody who's a member of the body of Christ can move in the gifts of the Spirit and ought to be moving in the gifts of the Spirit. No matter what anyone says about what you can't do or what you can do, if it's in your nature, you can do it. And our nature is the nature of an eagle. And we can rise up and fly above that. Oh, folks, if I could get you to understand it. If you want to fly like the eagles, you don't scratch with the turkeys. I didn't invent that saying. That's been around for years. But it's true. It's true. If you get around people that are all timid and self-centered, don't want you to move in the spirit, don't want you to be too spiritual, then separate yourself from them. Find someone who can build your faith. Find someone who's hungry for God. Find, we are at a moment in time where God is leaning over the balustrades of heaven saying, come on, my kids, come on. Start to move in the power of the Holy Ghost. Start to do what I've called you to do. But we've got an amount of people who call themselves Christians and they don't want to move anywhere from out of their seat of lethargy and ease into the things of God. 
we have a moment before us. I've been in Pentecost 61 years, I think it is. I've never seen a moment like we are right in now. It's a time where anybody can move in the power of the Holy Ghost. It's a time where anyone can experience supernatural happenings every day of the week. And if you don't want that, if you just want to sit in your little bed of ease, let me tell you what's going to happen. The storms of life will blow your chook shed away and you'll go down the creek with them. But if you've got your eyes on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you'll rise up above the storm with the wings of an eagle and you'll start to survey the scene as God sees it. Our time's run out. If you don't understand those first three things in the spirit, you'll never understand the fourth one. Absolutely imperative that we understand. He says, the way of a man with a maid. Listen, folks, from cover to cover, that Bible you've got on your lap is the story of a man and a maid. Starts in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. But I tell you what, God didn't start with Adam and Eve. He started with Adam. I don't know whether you've ever done any research, whether you've got in there and dug it apart, but uh, Adam was male and female. It was only because he saw other animals and all the others paired off that he started to say, where's my other mate? He didn't understand that his mate was within him. And God felt sorry for him and had to take the female out of him. It's just there in your Bible if you only read it. It's there in your Bible. God took the female out of him and brings her to him. What God was trying to get Adam to understand and if Christians would only understand it, their lives would be totally different. God was trying to get Adam from the beginning and humanity ever since. Solomon couldn't understand it. It was too wonderful for him. This whole thing about a man and a maid. Oh, you could go all the way through there. There's Adam and Sarah and Isaac that's born. There's Rebecca and Jacob and, and, the, and this child that's born. There's J- Jacob and Rachel and Joseph that's born. There's the Solomon and the Shulamite woman. And you could go right through to little Mary that's overshadowed by the Holy Ghost. And that which is born from a... God is interested in what's being born from your life. It's just not a man and a woman enjoying a sexual fantasy. That's not what marriage is about. From God's perspective, a male and a female coming together in a relationship, it's supposed to be a time of courting, a time of engagement, a time of marriage, then a time of carrying a child and a birthing of the child. God is interested in what is born out of your relationship. But Solomon knew that there was more to it than the sensual, sexual side of this. He knew there was a spiritual level that he couldn't get a grip on. But I tell you, I thank God the day he gave me a revelation of this. 
gave me a revelation of, about why so many people are bound by the devil in sexual sin. <laughs> Help me, God. I was driving to Sydney to an executive meeting when I was on the executive and I, I just, when I'm on my own, I cry out to God. I just yell out to God. I said, God, you've got to help me. You've got to give me answers because I don't see any answers on the horizon. I said, so many people are bound by sexual sin. Not only homosexuality, we've got adultery and fornication going on. People need help. And I'm crying out to God while I was driving and I could tell you the exact place where I was when the Spirit of God spoke to me. Whether it was audible or not, I don't know, but it might as well have been audible because it was indelible in my experience. He said, when a person's sexuality is violated, a doorway is opened into their life for the devil to lay a hold of their life. I said, oh dear God. And my mind went to several situations that I knew of. And I knew straight away that that was the case. I said, oh God, you've got to help me. You've got to help me understand this mystery. You've got to help me understand it. And so God began to unravel the mystery, the mystery of creation. I call it God's creative principle because it's the way things happen in the spirit realm. It's the way things happen in the natural realm, but it's the way things happen in the spirit realm as, as well. The Apostle Paul writing to Ephesians in Ephesians 5 deals with the whole thing about marriage. Marriage is honourable and the bed undefiled if it's done God's way. And we need to understand that. That's God's purpose. And so Paul is writing about it there and he talks about husbands loving their wives and wives submitting to their husbands and all of that. And that needs to be preached on. It's not what people think it is. But you see, it's all about God's creative principle. Paul says there, look, this is a great mystery, but he said, I'm talking about the relationship of Christ and the church. He said, I'm talking about the relationship of Jesus, the Son of God, with you and I as human beings, individually and as a church. That's what Paul's writing about. He wants us to understand this whole thing. <laughs> Sex is very sacred to God. It's extremely sacred to God and it should be sacred to us too. Sex is not a plaything. Sex is not a sensual thing for you to get your enjoyment out of. It's sacred in the eyes of God. And if you have defiled your sexuality, you will reap the reward of that in this life. The whole, whole thing is the principle of God. God's creativity is now released in human beings like you and I. I used to think 
that every baby born was a miracle of God. God's creation. But with his revelation, I now realize that's not the truth. God gave his creative ability to humankind. And so now a man and a woman create a human being. God's not involved in it except that when there is a conception, he assigns a spirit to that conception. And all the abortionists can jump up and down and say it's not a life and all the rest of it. That is not the truth, folks. When the conception takes place in a woman's womb, God assigns a spirit to that embryo and that is a life. We need to understand it. The life in the womb is as sacred as it can be. We need to do all that we can to protect that. That's why you need to be people who stand against abortion. You've got to stand against sin, folks. You've got to make a stand against these things. I'm sorry. I may sound like I'm cracking up, but I am cracking up. Because this is so serious, so serious. We're living in a central climate today that is just so terrible in the eyes of God. God loves human beings. He loves people like you and I. But he hates sin. Sin is an abomination to God. And sexual sin is the highest in the list as far as God is concerned. Because his creative principle is involved in it. You're looking at me like a coward in Newgate. You've got to realise that the man or the male is a parallel to the mind of God. The female is a parallel to the spirit. Man was made in the image and likeness. Mind and spirit. When you were born again... The mind of God was conceived in the womb of your spirit and Christ was formed in you. That's what it talks about in Peter, 1 Peter 1, 23. He says, you were not born again of corruptible things such as silver and gold, but you were born again of the incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. The word seed there is the word sperm. The translators were not game enough to write the proper word down, but that's what it is, the sperm of God. The sperm of God was conceived in your spirit and Christ began to grow in you. And it's, that's our responsibility when you receive Christ as your saviour. Our responsibility is to help you grow so that Christ might come forth in your life. It's the Christ coming forth in our lives that God is looking for. His heart longs to see Christ coming forth in our lives. He longs to see Christ coming forth in a church, in a fellowship of people. He longs to see Christ coming forth in us. It makes you understand. When you think about that, it makes you understand why it's so important what we think about. Because what you think about, you will get pregnant with. I know from an inventive perspective, 
if I have to invent something that's not been invented. All I have to do is think and think and think and think and presently I'll get a thought of how it can be done and if I let that thought get into my spirit I can do it and I've done it over and over and over and over in my lifetime. I've invented things that could not be invented. I've made things that everyone said that can't be done. I know how you do it because I know how God's creative principle works. You meditate on something until you get pregnant with it. And when you get pregnant with it, all you've got to do is wait till it's birthed. I tell you, I don't care if I ever get to preach again. I'm going to preach what I've got to preach this morning, folks. You've got to understand, so many people have made shipwreck of their life because their minds are out of control. You're thinking about stuff you shouldn't think about. Your mind's dwelling on stuff you should never let it dwell on because if you dwell on it, it will get in your spirit. If it gets in your spirit, it will defile your life. Please, purify your mind. That's what the Bible admonishes us to do. Purify our thought life. Let it come in under the hand of God. You see, we cannot we cannot live lives that are just taking stuff from the mind to the mind. If the mind represents the male, the spirit, the female, then you can understand that preaching or anything that just goes from the mind to the mind is a parallel to homosexuality. And homosexuality is an abomination to God. Along with adultery, along with fornication, along with any other sexual sins, it's an abomination to God. God loves sinners, but He hates sin. Particularly these sexual sins because they are, they come under that whole heading of the creative principle. And so we need to shun fornication. We need to shun these things get them out of our lives so that we might be pure and soft in the heart in the hands of God the apostle Paul well let me back up we need to be like little Mary when the angel came to her and told her that she had been chosen to be the mother of the Christ she was petrified about the possibility but she said be it unto me according to your word Can we pray that way? Father God, be it under me according to your word. Let's get pregnant with Christ. Let Christ come forth in us. Christ, the world is looking for Christ. The Apostle Paul writing in Galatians 4, I think it is, he said, oh, he said, I got a travail again. Travail has to do with birthing. He said, I've got a travail again that Christ might be formed in you. One of the most pathetic verses of scripture in the Bible is in Isaiah 26. It's a prophetic book, of course, and you've got to understand it that way. If you don't, you won't. He says. He's picturing the church, Israel, he's talking about. And he says, we have, we have been in travail. We've been in birth pain. But we've brought nothing forth but wind. 
Read it for yourself, Isaiah 26. We've been in travail, but we've brought forth nothing but wind. There's been no child born. There's been no, there's been no deliverance. And it goes on to say that. There's been no deliverance in the land. God, the world around us outside is not looking for all the stuff we think they're looking for. They're looking for the Christ, the Son of God. They're looking for him to come forth in our midst. He's looking for him to come forth in our lives. And we need to let him come forth. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Saviour? I'm not talking about mentally. I'm talking about in reality. It's a matter of life and death. What's your mind full of? What does your mind think about all the time? Is it the affairs of life or is it the purposes of God? Is God's word being conceived in the womb of your spirit? Is he coming forth in you? Is there a growing up into the stature of the man Christ Jesus? Let's just pray. Father God, you know every one of us. You know us exactly as we really are. We can't hide anything from you. You know us truly. In these closing moments, Father, I just ask that by your Spirit, you would challenge us deeply Father for the times we're living in for the hour we are in for the needs of our humanity around us I pray Father let us be honest with ourselves I don't know everybody here but if you're here this morning if you've never received Jesus Christ as your saviour You've never said, Jesus, come into my life. Make me a child of God. I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. If you'd like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, ask him to come in, transform your life, begin to live his life within you. If you've never done that, why don't you just raise your hand where you are. I'll see it. God will see it. I can pray for you. We, a lot of people are away today, and I know it's probably we're all probably born again okay let me just take it one step further because I just want to be obedient to the Holy Spirit if you look at your own life and you realize it's not Christ that's coming forth in you you need to make a total new commitment to him I want to challenge you this morning make a commitment that you're going to let Christ come forth in you no matter what. If you want to be amongst those that want Christ to come forth in you, why don't you just raise your hand and say, yeah, I want Christ to come forth in me. Is there anyone that wants Christ to come forth in them? Nobody wants Christ to come forth in them. Well, that's okay. That's your choice. But I tell you, you will have to make the choice to let Christ come forth in you because that's what it takes you have to, we used to sing an old song years ago and you can start to sing we used to sing an old song years ago it went something like this thou mighty Christ 
come forth in me. My will and way I yield to thee. The barren sings a travailing song. Oh, praise the Lord, it's for you I long. Do you long for Jesus? Is your heart's cry for him? Is your heart's cry for his life to break loose in you? Why don't we stand together as Joel leads us?